Dr. Richard Smith, Chairman for the Study of Cycles. What a pleasure and compliments of the season. Richard, there's been so much happening since we last spoke a few months ago, particularly in the U.S. market. A more hawkish Fed, key economic indicators flashing red. It's difficult to gauge the environment from the outside in, but there seems to be an element of fear. What's the general sentiment on the ground in the States at the moment regarding the health of equity markets? I think people who are looking at it deeply definitely have some concerns. And I think the biggest concerns have to do with kind of the trajectory of inflation and long-term interest rates. And certainly from the perspective of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, we see a lot of indications that we are at a major cycle bottom in terms of yields on long-term interest rates. And we definitely expect yields to rise And, um, you know, that has been the major trend for the past 40 to 50 years, frankly. Um, And, you know, we've expected them to rise earlier, too, as a lot of people have. Um, I was looking at a quote, actually, from Alan Greenspan in 2005, saying it's kind of a conundrum why long-term interest rates aren't rising, right? But I do think that we are at a turning point I do think that inflation is picking up and I think that it's here to stay and long-term rates are rising. But, you know, we also have to think about um, real yields, namely, you know, what you're earning in interest on long-term bonds versus uh, what inflation is, right? And those are negative. I suspect they're going to stay negative. I think that you know, both inflation and long-term rates are going to rise. And I think that the reason they're going to stay negative is basically because the government is and the Federal Reserve are pursuing a policy of what's called financial repression. You know, it's a, uh, which means they're kind of uh, using the private sector to help pay off their own debts, right? So the biggest, one of the biggest debtors is the U.S. government. And if that um, ability to service the debt of the U.S. government, you know, becomes problematic, uh, they can't afford it. So meanwhile, the partnership between the government and the Federal Reserve, they've got some tools to help make sure that the government can pay its debts. (laughs) And I think we're going to continue to see that. But I think that rates and inflation will rise. I just think that inflation will outpace the rise in rates and you'll still have these negative Uh, real yields. And that's, you know, that's a serious thing for investors. When the US sneezes, the rest of global markets tend to catch a cold. Our local Mm -hmm. market has held up really well considering what's happened in the States, predominantly because of the value bias in the stocks on the JSC. Mm -hmm. Is this inflation shock imminent interest rate cycle that you talk about negative for solely growth companies or are there broader implications for the market? Well, I think it's definitely negative for growth companies. And, you know, let's face it, growth has been the story of the past decade. Um, so I do think value is will be more attractive than growth in the uh, over the year of 2022, for sure. Um, you know, look, I think that inflation, you know, can be good for equities, right? Especially companies that can price their raise their prices. So, you know, inflation means you don't want to leave your money in the bank, right? We're not getting to the point that savers are going to be, you know, giddy. People are still going to need a place to put their money where it can grow. And so I do think that favors equities to some degree and value equities in particular. 
and you know even emerging markets. So I think that uh, South Africa isn't in a bad spot. And and I by the way I commend South Africa on your you know management of Omicron and alerting the world. And I think you guys have earned some cred over the past uh, few months. You know good good work. We've seen the high growth emerging tech basket absolutely hammered in 2021. These are the same yeah. stocks that were multi-baggers in 2020. I see a lot of investors price anchoring some of these growth stocks to their all-time highs. Are yeah. stocks objectively cheap simply because they're a percentage of their all-time highs alone, i.e. a company like Peloton is 70% off its all-time highs? This, it must be cheap. Or would that be incorrect? That's absolutely incorrect. You know, nothing's cheap that can get cheaper, right? <laughs> the, uh, what is it? Somebody said, uh, you know, what's the difference between uh, 80% loss and a 90% loss? I'm not quoting it exactly. But look, if something gets from, you know, 80% off its high to 90% off its high, that's a 50% fall in the price of the stock. Okay, trust me, right? So that's the mathematics. So look, you know, things can fall more. That's one of the biggest lessons of the markets. You got to be careful about that. Do not look at, you know, prices relative to their all-time highs. No, we have to start thinking about valuations. You know, valuations are at all-time highs, especially in technology and growth. It's pretty incredible. I think the CAPE ratios got updated recently, you know, and in information technology, it's something in the 50s, which is just crazy. And, and, but then, you know, globally and in, in it's a uh, much, much less than in the U S so look, something that's down 70% can end up down 80% to 90%. And that for you, if you're buying in, you know, today can mean a 50% drop easily. So can't forget that. That's absolutely something you have to be thinking about. Given the rise and fall and all the hype of these emerging tech names, I've tried to better understand some of the businesses, the likes of Peloton, Roku, Palantir, the C Group, to name a few. Fascinating businesses at the forefront of innovation within their industries. Taking this back to the dot-com bubble, how many of these emerging growth businesses or what percentage come out of the cycle, out of the bear market, successful long-term businesses? Uh, a lot less than we would hope. So I think a lot of what goes on in the markets too is narrative driven and herd type of mentality, right? So, you know, something like Peloton going up to astronomical heights during the pandemic, you know, was really even part of the meme stock story. You could even call Peloton a meme stock to some degree. Look, it's not GameStop or AMC. They've actually got revenues, you know, in a real business. But um, but look, there's been a lot of narrative driving the markets over the pandemic, partly because a lot more people were interested in markets and we were all glued to our screens, right? So um, those narratives can, you know, sink uh, stocks as much as they can lift stocks. And I think that we have to be careful about all stocks that really were driven a lot by narrative during the pandemic and not by fundamentals. Is this time different to the dot-com bubble? I see a lot of bulls saying that this time is different and we're ready to embrace this technology-driven economy 20 years later. I don't think that this time is different uh, I think that you're going to have a lot of people who got involved in the markets in 2021 and who know nothing but gains 
are going to uh, start to understand the pains <laughs> that the markets can deliver. And these market cycles have been going on, you know, for uh, probably as long as there have been markets, certainly for as long as we've been able to track markets for the past hundred years or so. So I don't think there is such a thing that this time is different because, look, a lot of market behavior is driven by human behavior and human behavior is certainly not changed. So these are the kind of traps that, you know, we get ourselves into in markets. And I think that we all have to really be paying attention to these behavioral dynamics of markets and understanding and not, you know, it's, it's also society. I think we have a lot better understanding today of, of behavioral psychology and how behavior drives markets. Most of that understanding, unfortunately, is being leveraged by profit-making, you know, institutions that want to manipulate human behavior for, for, you know, corporate profits or government control. Meanwhile, you know, we need to understand our own behavior better. We need to take, consider, take that into consideration in terms of how we participate in markets. We need to not let ourselves be just led astray you know, by the behavioral, you know, manipulations in the media and in markets that really aim to extract uh, money and attention and, um, you know, data from us and be more uh, savvy in that regard. Kathy Wood's ARK has been under tremendous pressure for the better part of a year now. Her flagship ETF, ARK Innovation, down 50% from its highs last mm. February. She outlined in a presentation recently that ARC is expecting to do 40% per annum for the, at least the next five years. Do you think Kathy's being a little bit optimistic? I think that is optimistic. I'm a fan of Kathy. I think she's got a lot of integrity. I think she's serious about what she's doing. I love her transparency. And I do think that there are some serious technological innovations that are in play. I do think there's something to the kind of theme of centralization versus decentralization. And I think that Kathy has her finger on that pulse. So I wouldn't underestimate her. You know, I'm always about helping people understand the relationship between risk and reward. Okay. So yes, Kathy's down 50%. Her fund could be down another 50% from where it is today. Right. And that would only take her down to maybe a 70 percent <laughs> correction. But when you're investing in something like the ARK ETF, you're swinging for the fences. You're investing in very speculative, you know, venture capital type of investing, basically. And so you have to be prepared for things to go way down if you want something that could potentially go way up. So, look, in terms of a technology investor, I think Kathy would is a good one to follow. I think we just have to understand that, um, you know, just because something's down 50% doesn't mean it can't go down another 50%. And anytime you're really looking for 40% annualized gains over four years, you basically have to be willing to have your investment go down 90% before it goes up, you know, uh, 500%. So that's the risk if you want that kind of reward. And that's what people really have to understand, right? You can only put as much money into Kathy Wood's fund as you can afford to see fall by 80 to 90%. That's the reality, right? And then you're betting that that's going to turn into some significant gains. But if you're not prepared for that kind of risk, it's going to be a very nauseating experience for you. 
The last 10 years have been somewhat of a Goldilocks era for equities with unprecedented expansionary monetary and fiscal stimulus support of equity markets. But what does the road ahead look like? Where exactly are we in the economic cycle and how much pain is actually ahead of us? Well, I think that, as I said earlier, I think that we are going to see long-term rates rise. We are going to see inflation start to, um, I mean, continue. I don't think it's transitory. And so I think that is ushering in a different era for investors. And if you understand that era and, you know, then you won't really have a lot of pain. If you're not planning for a sea change in the markets, then I think you risk a lot of pain. Okay. So again, it's about, you know, being able to have an understanding of what you think markets are going to do and place your bets accordingly and understand your risks, right? So it's possible that I'm wrong. You know, this is my thesis. I think it's pretty well informed. Uh, I think it's pretty data driven. It's also based on my 30 years of experience in the markets at this point and running the foundation for the study of cycles, et cetera. But look, I could be wrong. And I'm always thinking about, you know, what if I'm wrong? But these are the things I'm watching out for. I do think that there are some sea changes going on in the markets. I think you also see it in the um, market internals. So the liquidity is drying up. You're seeing, you know, small caps not do as well as large caps. And um, you're seeing uh, high yield bonds having some trouble. So the markets are making all-time highs, but the internals of the markets are showing warning signs. And um, that's something that we all got to be paying attention to. What are your return expectations for 2022 in the major U.S. indices? I see the American investment banks have come out with price targets on the S&P anywhere from 4,400 to 5,300. What are yours? I'd be happy with a break-even year myself. (laughs) 